first reading is Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 30, and it can be found on page 882 of your Bibles. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirits, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as, he, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with le leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. 
He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! Why do you, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon drew the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are? With authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the hometown of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses and, laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But, he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I know what you're thinking. James has got a new shirt. Hope he, hope he kept the receipt. I did not. Uh, this week, for three weeks, I got on holidays, and so I feel like the shirt is getting in the mood for that. Um, on Wednesday, Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, Wednesday here, we had our Thanksgiving vision night. Um, I share briefly uh, just how thankful I am uh, for you guys. Um, it is a joy uh, to be your pastor, uh, to see uh, to walk alongside you, whether it's a great year this year or it's been a terrible year, but to see you say Jesus is enough is a deep encouragement to me. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now on this day, this, particularly this Remembrance Day. And we just want to say thank you for the peace that we've experienced. We thank you for those who lay down their lives so that we can have the freedom that we often take for granted and that we can hold your word in our hands without fear of persecution. And we ask, Lord, that we'd be ever thankful and that we would hear what you have to say to us today, Jesus, by the power of your spirit. Amen. A number of years ago, I was at Enmore Theatre and I was listening to one of my favourite bands, The Waifs. Now, who knows who The Waifs are? Okay, all three of us. Not, it was even less at 8 o'clock. They had no idea. Uh, I love the Waifs. And there, with my wife, we were at the Enmore Theatre. It was great. They were playing all songs, songs I loved one after the other. But then came a song which I was unfamiliar with. And it went like this. Temptation, temptation. 
basically put to music what happened in the beginning of Luke chapter 4. They retold, almost word for word, what happened with Jesus and Satan in that wilderness. And as that song was sung, they're not a Christian band, right? And as I looked around at the audience, five, six, seven hundred of it, I was thinking, what is going through people's minds? as they sing about Jesus and temptation and Satan. I wonder what's going through your mind. When we think of temptation, we often go to, don't eat the chocolate. Don't read her diary. Don't gossip about the boss. Don't eat anything that's been deep fried, right? Sort of resist. When we think of Satan, we often think of red-horned, demonic, hanging out with Jack the Ripper, the girl from the Exodus kind of thing, right? Freaky stuff. But the encounter in Luke chapter 4, the encounter that the wife sung about, gets us to challenge our stereotypes and our preconceived ideas. See, if you're here and you're thinking, I cannot believe in Satan, the, the red horn, the, the pitchfork and all that. No, the Bible doesn't believe in that Satan either. But this account that you have in your hands was there so that you, no matter who you are, would get to know not only who Jesus is, but also who Satan is too, and not resort to stereotypes or Simpson episodes. And you'll see that temptation is far more serious than whether you eat that second chocolate eclair or not. Right? Well, let's have a look. Open your Bibles if you close them. Have a look at Luke Chapter 4, verse 1. It sets the scene for this encounter. It says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. There's a couple of things in that. Firstly, I think it's safe to say that is one of the biggest understatements of all of the Bible, Right? Hasn't eaten in 40 days, and he was, quote, hungry. Some of us can't even last 40 minutes, right? Some of you walk past Batch Burgers on your way here, and you didn't buy a burger, and you're regretting it now, right? You're keen for supper, you yeah? know? He has been in the desert for 40 days and not eaten anything. And why is he here? What does it say? He was full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus is empowered by the Spirit of God and led to the desert. It is no accident that he is there. But it was God's plan for him to be tested like this. Now, there's a subtlety here which we may miss. You'll notice in the previous chapter, there's a genealogy. And that genealogy ends with the son of Adam, the son of God. There Adam is called the son of God. And Luke wants you to remember that moment. Remember what happened to that son of God, Adam, when he was in the garden and came face to face with Satan. 
He had fruit galore, but God said, don't eat from this one tree. Eat from everywhere else, not this one. And Satan comes along and says, surely God is ripping you off. Take it. And he does. He failed. And here, in Luke 4, another son of God comes along. And he comes face to face with Satan. But he's in the Garden of Eden. Where is he? In a desert. The stakes are much higher. The situation is far more serious. And as we read, we're seeing, well, let's see how this son of God goes. Will he be like Adam? There are three rounds. The first is in verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God. Let's stop there, right? Notice the most dangerous word Satan says. What is it? If. If. Now, just before, in Luke chapter 3, at Jesus' baptism, God the Father says at his baptism, which he's never said at any other baptism, What did he say? Jesus, you are my son with whom I love. With you I am well pleased. God the Father has just declared that moments before. And Satan comes along and says, if you're the son of God, prove it. For Adam, what did Satan say? Did God really say? See, Satan's default tactic to tempt you is not what we expect. He doesn't come to Jesus with a bunch of pornographic images or wads of cash or frothing at the mouth. But his goal is for Jesus and indeed you to doubt the word of God. See, Satan hates God. And he hates anyone who follows him. And he knows he can do damage in our lives if he drives a wedge between God's word and us. If he gets that, everything falls into line. And so he says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, this is not a temptation, right, that you and I struggle with. Turning a stone into bread. Now, some of you have the ability to turn bread into stone because you're a bad cook, right? But none of us have the ability to turn this stone into bread. So it tells us a bit about something, it tells us about who Jesus is, doesn't it? The kind of abilities he had. Otherwise, this wouldn't be any sort of temptation. But my question, which I've been thinking about this week, where's the evil in Satan's request? Turn stone into bread? I mean, Jesus is hungry. It's not like Satan said, turn this stone into LSD and have a good time, right? Into bread. Now, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus turns five loaves of bread into more bread to feed 500 people. He uses his power then, but here it's just him. See, what Satan is doing here 
is he's putting something in Jesus' mind, saying, will God truly provide for you? He whispers, why, O Son of God, should you wait any longer? Don't starve. Don't deprive yourself. You do what you can do and feed yourself. Now, you might be thinking, well, it must be easy for Jesus to say, no, he's God, right? It's like Superman giving an arm wrestle to a child. It's a no-brainer. But Jesus was God, yes, but he's also man. And you and I are often limited by our ability when it comes to temptation. Jesus was not. It was far harder for him to say no. But what does he say? Verse 4, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Now, I don't know if you could quote Deuteronomy when you're hungry, but Jesus does. And he says to right back at Satan, my well-being is not based on whether my stomach is full or empty. He says to Satan, even though I could, I will Trust God. Round two. Verse five. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Now this temptation is a bit more tempting, isn't it? Right? Satan presents him with all the powers, all the authority, a kingdom greater than Rome itself at the time. Now, what does Satan say? It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. Is he right? I mean, Satan is powerful, right? But he is full of lies and delusions and half-truths. You may know that with your head. But when you look at it, your heart sees how enticing it is, isn't it? When you look at power or money or sex, it it seems so enticing. It seems so good. All Jesus had to do was a simple bow down and worship and all be his. When I heard a story this week of a guy called David who uh, was online and he got a message, Facebook message, saying he had won $150,000. Only he'd just be a bit skeptical about it, but it, it came from his cousin, right? And he trusted his cousin. And so he looked into it and all he had to do was send 250 bucks and then the money would be released and it'd be into his account. $150,000. He thought what he could do with that. He sent the money. A couple of days later, they... Bank said, We just need an international transaction fee set up, then it'll be in your account. He did that. Just a little, he thought, just a little. He kept doing just a little, just a little, until after a number, he called his cousin and said, What's the deal with this? And he said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And at that point, David had given $1,500 and a wealth of personal information to the scammers. At first it seemed good, but it came up 
empty. And Satan's lies seem good at first. All of us in this room will believe them. But they're empty in the end. Thomas Brooks said in a poem, Satan promises the best, but pays with the worst. He promises honor and pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure and pays with pain. He promises profit and pays with loss. He promises life and pays with death. And so Jesus, verse 8, looks Satan in the eye and says, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. He says, If I do not worship God, then I have nothing. Only God is worthy of my worship. Nothing else. Round three. Final round. Verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands and so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now this round of temptation is a bit more intense. Satan is asking Jesus, do you trust God enough? Do you trust his words? Because he, what does he do? He quotes from the Bible and says, look, here's a verse that if you jump, angels will catch you. Now, without looking at the footnotes, right, what part of the Bible is Satan quoting? I had no idea. It's Psalm 91. I had to look it up, right? And it dawned on me this week, Satan knows more about the Bible than I do. Just rattle off Psalm 91. He knows it. And he twists it for his own agenda. You can take any verse out of the Bible and make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. In 2008, when Obama and McCain were running for the White House, for the presidency, there was an ad against Barack Obama which was titled Dangerous. The ad went like this. It was a TV ad. The narrator said, Who is Barack Obama? He says, Our troops in, Af- in Afghanistan are, and there's a clip of Obama saying, just air raiding villages and killing civilians. Narrator, how dishonorable, how dangerous. Obama, too risky for America. Now, if you go back to the original clip of Obama, this is what he says. We've got to get the job done there, and that requires us to have enough troops so that we're not just air-raiding villages and killing civilians. See, when you take something out of context, you can twist it for your own agenda. And Satan does it all the time. Not with the Quran, not with God's religion, but with the words of God in the Bible. And he does it, I think, because we can let our guard down. It's safe. It's, got, it's there. But he twists it for his own agenda to cause you to test God. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? Verse 12, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Again, quoting Deuteronomy 6. He didn't say, well, if it's in the Bible, I'm going to jump. Now, notice what he does there. He says, well, that may be true, but here's another verse. Let's look at the bigger picture, the context of all of God's word and what he says, not what we want him to say. And after three rounds, Satan exits stage left. My question is this. What's the point of this moment? Why is it recorded in in three out of the four Gospels? Why is it here? Is it here so that we can have a, a, a greater awareness, be alert of what Satan's tactics are? Right, That he'll twist the Bible. He'll take things out of context. He'll prompt you to doubt the word of God. Give you a bunch of half-truths. That may be the case, but here's the thing. Satan is smarter than we think. Even within this chapter that was read out to us, he changes tactic. He goes from saying, if you are the son of God, to the demon saying, hail, he's the son of God. That'll get him killed. He's changing tactics all the time. Is this part of the Bible in here so that you have a practical way of facing temptation? You notice what Jesus does every time he's quoting the Bible, quoting the Bible, quoting the Bible. That may be true, but here's the thing. No matter how many Bible verses you've memorized, Satan knows more. Is this passage here to be an inspiration, a motivation? So when you're faced with temptation, be like, what would Jesus do? I'm going to say no. Because you and I know the amount of times we say yes to his lies, don't we? We disbelieve what God says and in the end trust what Satan says and we are racked with guilt and we're ashamed and we feel like a failure and we question, are we saved? And it keeps us up at night. Because we don't say no, we say yes. The ultimate point of this moment in Luke's gospel is here for one reason. You notice every time Jesus quotes from the Bible, he's quoting from Deuteronomy, chapter 6 to 8. He could have picked any part of the Old Testament to quote, but he just picks this moment. Why? If you look in those chapters, there is God's people in the wilderness for 40 years. And they are tested and they are tempted again and again. And Jesus, by quoting those parts of the Bible, He's, as it were, symbolically stepping into his people's shoes and experiencing what they experienced. But where they failed, Jesus did not. Where they disobeyed God, Jesus did not. Where they gave in, Jesus did not. There's a beautiful verse on the screen from Hebrews chapter 4. Says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. 
let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. See, not only did Adam and Eve fall, not only did God's people fall, not only do you and I fall when it comes to Satan's temptations, but there is one and only one who did not. Jesus Christ, when he came face to face with Satan, he said, no, no, no. And you know why he said no, no, no? Satan wanted him to dazzle him. If you're a son of God, act like it. Think of your own interests. Think of your own power. Think of your own needs. But Satan, uh, Jesus Christ was thinking of his father. Father in heaven. But he was also thinking of you. He said no, and he lived a perfect life because he knew you and I wouldn't. And so he went to the cross. See, here's the thing. Jesus said to Satan, I will not turn stone into bread, but rather I will become the bread of life and have my body broken for you for the times that we have said yes to Satan and his lies. Jesus refused temptation to worship Satan for all the kingdoms of the world. Instead of reaching out for a crown, he reached out for a crown of thorns and said, I will be the servant king for the times that we have disobeyed God. Jesus Christ said that instead of having a sign that angels will rescue him, he became the sign where God didn't rescue him but resurrected him, saying once and for all your sins are forgiven. And that is why, verse 16, what does it say? We can approach God's throne with confidence. If you are here and you have placed your trust in Jesus, if you are here and you've turned to him in repentance and faith, if you're here and you find your identity in him, then you can be confident that Jesus' perfect record, his sinless record, his 100% success rate of saying no to Satan, that becomes yours. And your guilt-ridden life, your sin-filled life of all the times that we have said yes to Satan, that becomes his. So that when Satan comes creeping and accuses you, failure, 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 guilty, 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 sinner, sinner, sinner. You can say, no, that is not me. Thanks be to Jesus Christ. And what he has done. A family friend of ours, George, when he was a teenager, developed a bit of a criminal record. And when he turned 18, I'm not sure if it's the case uh, still, but at the time, his record, when he turned 18, was wiped clean. He was driving along, about 18 and a half, and the police pulled him over. And they looked at him, asked him a number of questions. One of them was, George... Do you have a criminal record? He looked that policeman in the eye and said, no. They went to check and it was true. When it comes to you and me, our sin record has been 
wiped clean, forgiven, no more. And when Satan comes knocking, you can point to Jesus and say, he has dealt with it. You have no power here. We sing a song at church, which, has, which is called Before the Throne of God Above. And there's a beautiful line, which goes like this. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Satan's goal, if you're a follower of Jesus, Satan's goal is for you to find your identity in something else than the word of God. And the question you need to ask yourself is, is he winning? Are you believing Satan's lies? Because for Jesus, he said, if you are the son of God, and for us, Satan says, well, did God really say you're forgiven? Did God really say you're holy? Did God really say you're saved? Look at you. But Jesus heard what his father said. And he found rest in that. And you need to find rest in what your heavenly father has said. Because of what Jesus has done. In order to say no to temptation, you need to hear who Jesus says you are. If you have a spirit-filled life, if you trust Jesus, right, you will not so much come face-to-face with Satan, but you will hear a voice time and time again that you recognize. That is also familiar. The voice that comes when you're faced with temptation or sin. Are you really saved? Are you really forgiven? Look what you've done. Look how you struggle. Do you think you're actually going to heaven? Surely God wants you to be happy. Do it. Satan hates God. And he hates anyone who follows him. And his goal in your life is to drive a wedge between you and the word of God. And so we find our identity in Jesus Christ. He is who I am. He, what he says, that's me, not Satan's lies. Because when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Let's pray.